this isn't the only time this happened. It's not the first time it happened. It's not the last time it happened. But it's somewhat typical of the experience. I'm about seven or eight years old, and I'm at the back of the room. And people are beginning to stir. People are beginning to find their stuff and beginning to make their way home. We've been there for a few hours at this point. We have had choir singing. We have had a minister speaking. And then there's a point where the chairs get packed to the sides. And what we see is a showdown. You see, my church, we would have programs about three times in the year. And they would last a weekend long. And then on Sunday night, there would be the anointing service. And that would be the time when me and my friends would keep our eyes peeled open because we would see aunties and uncles fall to the ground. And we would see wigs falling up and flying for miles in the sky. And we would see legs growing out. And we would see transformative prophetic words that change the course of people's destinies. We would see displays of the power of God. And then in the midst of all of that, there would eventually come a point where things settle down. And I would be at the back of the room, able to move, but unwilling to move. I wonder if you've ever had a weighted blanket on you or a heated weighted blanket. Well, that feeling was what the atmosphere was like. The atmosphere was heavy, heavy, still oxygen, but something else was permeating the environment. And the scriptures refer to the glory of God. The word in Hebrew, kavod, it means weight. The weight of the presence of God. And see, I've been going to church all my life. My parents are church leaders. I've believed in Jesus from a very young age. I've believed the Bible. And yet in those moments, there was a change. Because I still had questions and I still have questions, but they melted in that moment. Everything else paled into insignificance because the truest, deepest reality was the reality of God. And I would sit at the back of the room after everything had happened. I would sit there fixated, transfixed on the glorious presence of God. And in that moment, in those moments, it settled into my consciousness that God was real because God was face to face in front of me. God was real because God was there. God is real. God is here. And experiences like that make me feel like I have a sense, at least, of what is going on when we read these words in Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 30 from verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled over it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The weight of God's presence descended upon the people and it disrupted the program of activity that they had been anticipating. The weight of the presence and the glory of God. There is nothing quite like the presence of the living God. And so we see in this passage in Exodus 40, this is a climactic moment in the story of Exodus. Many, many things happen in this book. And this is one of the moments of climax. And yet, to get to this point, there is quite the journey that we have to go on. I don't know how many people here have read the book of Exodus before, but this is in general how it plays out. So you have 18 chapters of narrative, and there is suspense, and there is intrigue, and there is drama, there are plagues, there's a whole lot of stuff going on. It's a real page turner. And then you finish chapter 18, and you land in chapter 19, and one of the things you ask yourself is, how did I get here? Because from chapter 19 through to the end, the narrative doesn't quite build in the same way. And you read specification after specification, ways in which God says the people need to live, and also very precise requirements for the tabernacle, for the Ark of the Covenant. The narrative, the unfolding story now begins to drill down into details. And you can wonder what is going on. And yet, meeting those specific requirements is the thing that enables the climactic moment of Exodus chapter 40. What God speaks to the people, those things need to be observed to the letter in order for God's glorious presence to fall. Now, if the idea of observing requirements of God to the letter doesn't fill you with excitement, I've got some good news for you. There is one called Jesus who has accomplished for you and for me all that we need for God to send his spirit to us. So when we sing, all hail King Jesus, the savior of the world, we are rejoicing in what he has done for us. Every single requirement of God for our sins to be washed away, for us to be given right standing in him, for us to be enabled to host the spirit of God, Jesus has made it possible for the spirit to be sent to us. Praise God for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Jesus has fulfilled all requirements for the Spirit to be sent. But that doesn't mean there is nothing for you and I to do. You see, there is the sending of the Spirit, but there is also the hosting of the Spirit. Jesus has done all that is needed for the Spirit to be sent. But in order to host the Spirit, in order for the Spirit to be able to stay with us, work in us, and work through us, we need to be attentive to hosting the Spirit well. And so we are going to spend some time considering what it is to host the Spirit well. 
And see, hear this well. The sequence here is not that we do lots of stuff to get God to come to us. It is that we live in the reality of the fact that he has come to us. We have been pursued by the presence of God in Jesus. And so our response is to use our lives to pursue the presence of God. And see how some of this plays out in the story of Moses himself. We're in Exodus chapter 3. And Moses is a fugitive. He has committed murder. And so he's on the run from Egypt. And yet one day he's stopped in his tracks by a burning bush, a signifier of the presence of God. And when he sees the manifest presence of God, God speaks to him and says, you thought I didn't care about my people any longer. So you tried to help me out by killing this Egyptian. But I want to let you know, I've seen the suffering and affliction my people have gone on through. And now I am coming to deliver them. And then in Exodus chapter 4, after a little bit of humming and hawing from Moses, Exodus chapter 4, he is sent to the people, and he goes to speak to them that God has sent him to tell them their time of deliverance has come. And I wonder for you what your process would be like if you were the people. You've been in slavery for over 400 years, and at this point, for some reason, God decides to tell you that he's coming to deliver and save. Imagine one of the thoughts on my mind would be, why now? And what took you so long? And yet see how the people respond. Exodus chapter 4. Moses and Aaron in verse 30, they perform the miraculous signs that God has told them to perform. And in verse 31, we see the response of the people. Then the people of Israel were convinced that the Lord has sent Moses and Aaron. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshipped. When they saw in that moment of the manifestation of the presence of God and the wonders unfolding before them, the manifest presence of God in that moment was a sign to them, not just that God had arrived on the scene now, but that God had always been there. God had been there through every year of agony and dejection and despondency as they lived under the oppressive rule of a tyrant. Where was God? He was right there. Where is God? in Ukraine? Where is God in Libya? Where is God in Yemen? Where is God when certain demographics of children keep getting excluded from the school system, impinging on their prospects in life? Where is God? God is right there. And so we have the manifest presence of God, but it draws us into the fact of the omnipresence of God. The fact that God is everywhere all the time. You see, we need these two things together. 
We need to press into moments of the supernatural, moments of the unveiling of the presence of God. But we don't just inhabit those moments. We lean on the fact of God's presence with us, and that enables us to press into seeking the experience of his presence with us. Church, I believe in this season that we need to hold on to these things together. This being a house of prayer and presence, us being a people of prayer and presence, is most certainly about seeking the experiential dimension of the presence of God. But spiritual maturity is seeking the experiential while holding on to the fact of the presence of God in every season, in every circumstance. When you feel it, when you don't feel it, when you like it, when you don't like it, God is real. God is here. God is with us. We are a people, if we choose to be, of the presence of God. The experiential dimension, the factual dimension, being aware of God. How are we meant to respond to the presence of God? There is one dominant response to the presence of God. I don't have time to walk you through all of the passages. The dominant response in the scriptures to the unveiling of the presence of God is for people to drop to their knees in worship. That is what happens when we become aware of the glory of who this God is. It's not that we don't still have bills to pay. We still have bills to pay. It's not that we don't have loved ones who are unwell. We still have loved ones who are unwell. But when we see the glory of God, we drop down in worship. Will we be a church that responds to the glory of God in worship? Worship and prayer are the things that the people of God use to respond to God. But they are also the ways in which the people of God host the presence of God. Prayer and worship are our response to God, and they are also our means of seeking after God. Worship and prayer. Now, I want to explore what the presence of God is across these three aspects. And across them, we'll consider what it is to receive the presence of God, to respond to the presence of God, to become aware of this reality, and then also consider what it is to respond to the presence of God. Three Gs, because this is a preach. The first one, the first one is guidance. Somebody say the word guidance. The presence of God is manifest in him guiding his people. Back to Exodus chapter 40, where I read a moment ago. After the two verses that I read, hear this. Now, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and at night fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journeys. 
Part of how God manifests his presence with us is that he guides us. In Isaiah, we see this verse. You will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. This is the way to go. This is the path. Walk in it. This is some of what God does for us. And as I look in this room, I know that there are stories of God's guiding hand with his people. As I look at this room, I see that. But also as I stand in this building, I know that I am standing in the place that God has guided, has led his people into. You see, for people who are seeking after the presence of God, people who are prioritizing the presence of God, the guidance of God is a non-negotiable. It doesn't matter whatever other good things something seems to have going for it. If God's presence isn't in it, the people of God have no time for it. It's not a debate. It's not a conversation. It's not an argument. If God's not in it, we don't do it. That has been some of the foundation of this church community. If God's not in it, we don't do it. Now, the guidance of God, sometimes it works out in a really, really beautiful, encouraging way. Other times, it can feel really discouraging and frustrating. For example, the building that we are in. Now, if you were to start a church in the morning and you want for it to have an impact on the face of King's Cross and you want it to break out in kingdom life, it's probably a chance that we go about strategizing. And what you wouldn't do in your strategy is wait 11 years to have a building of your own. Through all the different plans that you would make and all the different pieces of advice that you would get, this wouldn't be part of the program. And yet, for a community that decides that she is following after the presence of God, it is the presence of God that opens the doors and closes the doors. And now here we are in this place, a landmark on the horizon of King's Cross to say there is a God and he does lead his people. And in his timing, his provision will be made clear. So every time you come to this building, I want you to process, this is not just an architectural feature for KXC. This is a landmark of the fact that God guides his people. And how do we respond to the fact that God guides his people? We don't say, thank you, God, for being with us so far. Thank you so much for bringing us to this building. Now that we have benefited from your services, we kindly ask that you do your thing and we do our thing and we take it from here. The response to the fact of God's guidance, his instruction, his provision for us is to press on into seeking more of the same. To be guided by God is to receive the blessing of his presence with us. And our response to that is to seek it. How do we seek it? Through prayer and through worship. And why is that? Is that because God has a particular favorite style of music and it just happens to be CCM and so we just launch it up to the heavens for him? No, what it is is that in that place of prayer and worship, when we do it in the way that God desires, in spirit and in truth, we are submitting ourselves to him. There cannot be two masters. 
in the place of worship and prayer, we lay down our agendas and our wisdom, and we lay hold of the wisdom of God himself. Number one, guidance. Number two, goodness, joy, and peace. Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of goodness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. As we come into this place, as we inhabit our lives filled with the presence of God, the hallmarks of his being in a place are goodness, joy, and peace. Some of us think that when it comes to the presence of God, it's a matter of sobriety and somberness. You need to just be put together. You need to not look too happy, not look too excited. And yet, we miss the fact that in the presence of the Lord, as per Psalm 16, there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. Fullness of peace. Fullness of life in his presence. So, when you are looking for peace and joy and goodness, where should you go to find it? Should you go to Amazon? Should you go to Five Guys? Should you go to dot, 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 dot? For us to take seriously the fact of the presence of God with us is to pursue goodness, joy, and peace in him and in him alone. The guidance of God the goodness of God, pursuing these things in the place of prayer and in worship. And now for the final G. And this one is a stretch. I'll tell you from the jump, this one is a stretch. But bear with me. We have here some good old confrontation. Hey. Good old confrontation. Acts chapter 16. Now, I've just said the goodness, joy, and peace of God, they are markers of his presence with us. And so when we seek these things, they come. In Acts chapter 16, we see um, from verse 16, we see Paul and Silas, they're out and about, and they're filled with the presence of God. And so there comes a moment when they encounter a demonic spirit and because of the presence of God within them and because of Paul speaking out the truth of God, commanding this demon to flee, the peace of God is able to rush in. Living lives saturated in the spirit means that we are able to see others set free. We are able to see captives released. But I said a moment ago that there can only be one master where God is involved. When it comes to hosting the presence of God, it's either that he has exclusive ownership and occupancy or that somebody else has it. Now you best believe that for God's presence to enter a place, it's displacing something else. So the young woman who Paul casts a demon out of, we see from verse 19, that there were other interests behind her being bound. There were those who had economic interests in her being demon-possessed. 
and her being far from the kingdom of God. You see, we talk about this being a place of redemption and transformation in our part of the city of London. But for every drug addict, addict that goes free, there is a drug dealer that has lost some income. For every sex worker that is liberated, there is a pimp that is losing some income. For every captive that is released, there is the evil one who is frustrated to see his purposes thwarted. Verse 19, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. Verse 22, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. There will be a cost to us as we seek to host the spirit in this place, as we seek to see life break out in this place, you better believe that there will be a reaction. And we have seen that. If you track with the story of KXC, as Pete shared it last week, you see that there are moments of breakthrough and there are serious moments of pushback. So let's just know from the outset when we're talking about what we hope for in this place, that we are on occupied territory and we are seeking to occupy it with the presence of God. In order for the presence of God to have free reign, other powers must be displaced. And yet, how do we displace them? How do we displace powers of darkness and invite the reign of God? Continuing in... Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas have been thrown into prison. Verse 25, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. What was the means of the victory of God and the setting free of these captives in this moment? It was the prayer and the worship of the people of God. We are going to face, have faced, will face going forward resistance to God's purposes as we seek to pursue them in this place. The strategy, the grand plan, the big object is to be saturated in the presence of God. And when we, through prayer and worship, usher in the reign of the king, Captives are set free, lives are transformed, and the reign of Jesus comes up close and personal to every life. So, I have shared with you my experience of the presence of God. And God's presence comes in the factual sense, the fact that God is omnipresent. We lean into that. But alongside it, we press into seeking the manifest presence of God, seeking the experiential dimension of the presence of God. And we see this in God's guidance of his people, in his blessing us with the gifts of goodness, joy, and peace. 
And yet we're aware in the midst of this as we seek these things, not just for ourselves, but for the life of this part of the city and the parts of the city that God has set us into, that we will face resistance, sometimes external, sometimes internal. And the key to hosting the presence of God and to pressing on in the midst of resistance is prayer and it is worship. So what is something that we should prioritize, perhaps, in this next season of our life as a community? Prayer and worship. Prayer and worship. Now, I'm going to suggest three ways, practically, of incorporating these things further into our lives. Number one, a few weeks ago, we were introduced to our new pastors of prayer. You all want to give us a little wave in the room? Shout out to Rich and Lydia. And these people carry something serious of the presence of God. And it is a gift to us that they are hosting in this place every Monday night. Nights that are dedicated to seeking the presence of God, to praying, seeking God for himself, number one. And then also persevering in the place of prayer to see his purposes unleashed amongst us. I want to encourage you. In fact, I think I want to challenge you. I think over the course of a month, make it a point that at least on one Monday, you join into what God is doing in this place. As wonderful as they are, what God wants to do through KXC cannot just be done through two people. They'll be faithful in their place of service and God will move through them. But what God wants to do through all of us needs all of us. So I want to encourage you at least once a month, come to this place, experience the fire and the power of God. Then number two, what we do corporately, experiencing the presence and power of God is meant to fuel what goes on privately in our lives, in our different contexts. You going to work on a Monday morning won't have the same vibes as Seek First. There won't be people to play guitar as you consider how to tell your boss that this project hasn't quite gone the way that you planned. But what you can do and what I can do is make a point of spending time with God each morning, seeking his presence, seeking his will. I want to encourage you, whatever your morning routine is at the moment, to tack on five minutes of receiving the grace of God's presence and responding to the grace of God's presence. Five minutes. But living in that place, receiving of God, is the key to partnering with God's purposes in our context. And finally, God's giving us his presence and filling us is not meant to stay just with us. We will be a bottleneck to the blessing that God wants to unleash through us if we keep it to ourselves. So consider, what does it look like for me to partner with God's purposes after stoking the flames of devotion and pressing out an intercession to partner with his purposes on the ground? KXC has a number of local mission opportunities. If you've never looked at them, please do. We care about this patch of London and we want to see the fact that a church gathers here 
every week, a few times during the week, making a difference to the lives of the people around us. But also, not everyone will be able to come into King's Cross. What does it look like for you to be attentive to God's purposes outside of your house, in the location that you are set in? Let's commit to being part of what God is doing here every Monday night, at least once a month. Setting aside an extra five minutes to bask in the joy of the presence of God, to seek his will and direction. And let's not hold on to it just for ourselves. Let's be conduits of it to the environment around us. Amen? Amen.